We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Look, when the results aren't good enough and neither are the performances, a big club steps up and does what needs to be done. The manager has moved on and the club goes in a new direction. And that's exactly what has happened. But enough about Bayern Munich. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right, Bayern Munich's manager is gone. But Unai stands. Unai stands in defiance of his results and his performances, my friend, because Unai Emery has it under control. And according to all the news that's leaking, uh, and it is leaky, leaky and yucky because it's saying that the club stand firmly behind him. I don't know if I believe that. We may dive into some of that speculation. But before we dive into any speculation, let me introduce the people who will be speculating along with me. Pause on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim is on Twitter. at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Good evening. Good evening. If there's any breaking news while we record this, we will update you, but certainly nothing right yet. I actually got a uh, weird sort of back-channel communication earlier today telling me about a sacking, and I I jumped the gun. I was running around, I twirling my underwear over my head, but it was actually just about the the layoffs within the um, youth scouting ranks and things. So false alarm, false alarm. That's okay. Um, Hey, we tried some live commentary for the last couple of games over on Patreon, and it's been kind of fun. We're going to try to roll that out to a wider audience, not just keep that... uh, behind the Patreon wall thing there. So hopefully everyone will get a chance to listen to that. But we are sort of trialing the technology and it seems like it's working. So as the kinks get worked out there, we don't kink shame here. We will uh, we'll do some live commentary. Uh, thank you to everybody who's joined us for these pods. It hasn't been the most fun season so far, but we have had a good time chatting about it and over on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere that people get in touch the Discord for patrons. Uh, we just really appreciate you and, and the fact that we're all going through this together. 
Um, we do have some special Patreon stuff coming up this week, so if you want to join there, we would love to have you. And of course, you can sign up for The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Get a month free and half off. Enough of that. Let's dive in. And I want to just go ahead and, and say this on behalf of all of you guys. And if any of you disagree with this, you can tell me. But I think Emery needs to probably go. I think Paul thinks Emery needs to go. I think Tim thinks Emery needs to go. And I think Clive thinks Emery needs to go. So instead of just doing the same chat, why does he need to go? When should he go? Who should replace him? Let's push some of that to the back. And let's actually talk about the football for a bit. Because I thought this was an interesting game. And there are things within it that I think could be worth discussing. And so... Tim, I want to start with you with sort of a a weird question, but bear with me if you will. Mm. What the fuck is the point of preseason? And and what I mean by that is, and I know you'd say nothing, don't pay any attention to it, it's just a fitness exercise, but like, I thought we had a fairly encouraging preseason in in spots. It seemed like there were clear tactical styles we were working on, clear approaches to the football that Emery seemed like he was leaning towards. There was the the back three that he used sometimes, but it was really more of a 4-2-3-1 system. We went pretty comfortably through the preseason emphasizing those approaches and basically abandoned it right away and have been flip-flopping back and forth between all kinds of systems. And I guess what I'm, why, the reason I'm starting here is to just sort of ask you, what is the point of training with a team and preparing a team and having a year and a half or you know a season and a half with a team if you are still going into games as if it is your first game with that group of players? Can you find any real reason behind the fact that this team seems to line up for every game like it's Emery's first game in charge um well he, he said didn't he that he wants us to be the chameleon team um, mission accomplished and what <laughs> yeah um, and what I take from that basically what what's quite interesting was post-match I had I had I don't often look at his comments, to be honest, because I can rarely make head nor tail of them but I, I have been in recent weeks um, and actually, maybe I should have paid more attention because I, I do think he's been saying some interesting things. He referenced the fact that we didn't beat Wolves and Crystal Palace at home last season, which suggests to me that he really took those kind of results to heart and thought, right, OK, um, we're not going to do the same thing we did last season. And that basically, in short, what he does is he looks at what the other team is going to, or what he thinks they're going to do, and that informs how his team are going to play. So how his own team plays is a movable feast. Um, and probably why that looks quite good in pre-season is because we we're playing quite good teams. And these are the quite rare occasions when Unai Emery's Arsenal can look quite good when they play you know, ostensibly superior teams or teams on a similar level when it's absolutely appropriate that the majority of your game plan is kind of carved out around your opponent's strengths. And he spoke about... uh, The other reason I've been analysing what he's been saying is because it sounds like... I mean, he's telling us that he's kind of pleased with the way that Arsenal have been playing, if not the results. He's kind of saying that they're playing like he's asking them to. So what happened at home to Wolves last year, they they just had us for breakfast on the counter-attack time and time again. So I think this was about trying to stop that as far as possible, trying to stop the transitions, trying to clog up the middle of the pitch in particular. We played quite narrow. And actually in that respect, I, I think it kind of worked. Like Wolves weren't able to counter on us um, that much. Um, however... That's only kind of, and that that's good, but that's like a small part of the game, and and it just seems like 
it just seems like he only has a plan for like a little bit of the game and and it doesn't seem like he has a big plan for how to exploit another team's weaknesses like he seems to look at another team's strengths and hatch a plan based on that which, which I'm fine with but then there's another bit that just doesn't quite happen like after the Sheffield United game he said that effectively he was pleased with how the game went and it kind of went how he planned it. His only complaint was that we gave away too many corners in the first 20 minutes and they scored from one. And so it's it's kind of reactive management. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those be careful what you wish for things because what were we all saying under Arsene Wenger? You know, I really want a coach who looks at the other team's uh, strengths and and we've got that, but it... It, it reminds me, you know, that scene in The Simpsons where Homer goes to hell and they send him to the ironic punishment division <laughs> yeah. and uh, make him eat all the donuts in the world. That's kind of what this feels like. It's like, oh, you, you, you want a manager that looks at the opposition strengths, do you? Have a manager that does that and absolutely nothing else mm. to the nth degree. So I, I think that's what it is. I think the whole idea is that um, Arsenal, uh, this is their identity that, they're supposed to be a movable feast, but they're a movable feast based on the strengths of the other teams, which to me is really only part of the job um, at a club like Arsenal. And it seems to be the only part he really pays any attention to. Yeah, and I think it, it also makes the point that when your emphasis is on how to negate the other side, how to protect yourself from the other side, you're inevitably not emphasizing how to put them under pressure. And ultimately, I think yep. that leads to games just being battles you know he wants games yeah. to be these tightly fought battles and you know i was looking through and if you use under stat statistics and you go through some of the xgs of games we played burnley 1.16 to 1.39 tottenham 1.93 to 1.96 uh manchester united 1.13 to 1.7 sheffield united 0.9 to 0.95 crystal palace 1.54 to 1.78 wolves 1.03 to 1.51 and i i mean I, what i'm trying to highlight there is they're all pretty close they're all yeah, you know yeah go ahead we we've not won a game by more than one goal <clears throat> one goal this season in the league yeah, and what the XG suggests is Emery thinks if he can make it into a battle and make it close and and keep us in it, that we should nick it. And I just, I don't think at a big club that those can be your approaches. Because the funny thing is, if you contrast that with games like what Liverpool had at the weekend, where they eked out a win late in a game you'd expect them to win. In City, against Southampton, you're like, huh, wait, what? They're losing and then they eke it out. But then you look at the XG, and they actually are deserved winners, both of them. And and I think that's the point. They just create a lot more scoring opportunities, a lot more pressure on the opposition. And Emery's teams just don't seem to do that. Um, Clive, one of the things I thought was interesting with this diamond is the game really had three periods for me. An opening 20-ish minutes where we were abysmal. And then a period for maybe 20, 25, maybe even 30 minutes. It depends how you want to measure it where I thought it sort of worked. We had sustained periods of possession in their attacking half. We created 90% of our chances in a 15-minute period um, in the first half. We were able to close those distances in a way we haven't before, where Ozil was giving it to Torreira, and Torreira was giving it to Chambers, and Chambers was giving it to Ozil, and we were kind of able to keep the ball in possession in their defensive third, our attacking third, and, and even though we weren't necessarily banging down the door, that was something we hadn't done but I think if I had to pick a big reason why it didn't necessarily work is we had a heavy right side bias and a lot of these moves broke down at the feet of Callum Chambers. I think we love Chambers because he's manfully doing a job that's not his 
first job, you know, right back. He's stepped up and been better than maybe we thought he could be. Uh, I'm impressed with the level he's given us based on what I might have expected. But much like Carl Jenkinson, that's grading on a curve a little bit. I'm not saying he's at that level, but you get the idea. So for you, it was one of the big misses in this game, the way our moves broke down on that right-hand side, trying to work through Calum Chambers? Yeah, I think I mentioned this a couple of games ago as well. I think he had like 70-odd passes in that game. And I actually said if he's having 70-odd passes in the game, there's something wrong with Arsenal. I started to think, well, why is that happening? And I think Callum Chambers, I always call him a game lad. I think he's a really keen player that's trying his absolute best to make his career at Arsenal. But for me, he's an in-betweener, right? He's not quite a CDM. He's not quite a centre-half. He's not quite a right-back. If he could pick his position, it'd be right centre-half in the three. And I've heard that from his own mouth. So that's what he is. So a right-back, what does he do? He he He's really active and he really demands the ball. And just by his movement and his enthusiasm. And because he's not super comfortable deep and right back, he empties. He empties when we've got the ball under bad possession sometimes, sometimes good possession. And because of that, because of his body language, because of his keenness, he's getting a lot of the football. But I don't want him having the football because he hasn't got the craft at his feet to really execute. And I think it's, 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 it's been a theme, really. It's hurting us. So he does quite well for him, distribution-wise, but he's not good enough. And I think back to, if you give Bellerin 70-odd touches, if you give Maitland-Niles 70-odd touches going forward, you're going to get more. You know, But Callum did sort of solidify us defensively a little bit more, but we're losing things offensively. And the left-hand side, because I know Tierney's just come in and he may not be used to the movements yet, etc., but... We all want him to have the ball, don't we? We all want him to go and do a little bit more on the run and have a bit more progressiveness because he's quite, he looks quite good, particularly higher up when he gets it and he bursts and he does one-twos and just drives and he can cross on the, on the run and he looks decent. So that's an issue for me. I think, again, the whole thing with our distances at the between our midfield and our back line, I know it sounds boring, but you could really see it in this game. Once you got past the, the top end of our midfield, it was just a running race back to our back four. Mm. Watching our back four back away, back away, they have a shot. A lot of these shots were you know, low XG shots, right? They were ooze for the crowd. But Neves can put one in your top corner. And we were a bit fortunate maybe he was off. But there were lots of shots. And it does sort of skew the statistics. And I know we've got half the goal blocked and then Jose in the other half. But it was one for Matt Doherty, he should have scored. We just not. We just don't engage. We don't engage in the right areas. Our distances are wrong. The way we build, although it was better with us on Lacazette, it still wasn't superb for long enough. And it's just I don't know if it's I don't know if it's systemic. I just feel that as a team, with the lack of compactness, we are hostage to events. We're hostage to a lack of athleticism on the retreat. We're just hostage to other teams' strengths and powers. And and teams point about Emery focusing on other teams' strengths. I'll take that a step further. He focuses on their primary strength. So you're absolutely right, Tim, about break, that breakaway. We, we negated that, but we didn't have a plan above that. Liverpool, I called it the Firmino effect. Last year, we got ripped down the middle. So what does he do? He blocks the middle. But does he really have a plan to hurt them? I think he's, he gets scarred by events and he carries that into the game. 
And what's become really apparent is that we need somebody that's going to carry our identity in a, into a game and turn up with the, the swagger that you know, the Arsenal badge actually needs. And mm. I think it's becoming really, really... The more I always thought, Elliot, that the more data that we had, the better he would be. I've completely flipped on that because the way He's data affects in it. him... Yeah, the way <laughs> yeah. data affects him actually has made him more negative. So these experiences that we all forgave him for last year, because the first time he'd been to these grounds... Don't say we all forgave him. <laughs> okay, I know well, few, I, uh, some people forgave him. <laughs> but we were, we were more... Okay, should I say we were more forgiving of yeah, him last enough, year, yeah. first year, and the results were going well, etc. We, we had some big shots against us, but we were winning the games. We were more forgiving because he was learning, learning the players, in broken squad, building it up. But now you, we're playing these teams for the second and third time, and he's now taken those data points and turned them into a massive negative. And that tells me the more data you get, the better decisions that you make. Actually, the more data he gets, the worse decisions that he makes. Yeah, and and I I do think he's drowning in it a little bit right now. The the one thing I will say, Paul, is look. I did the commentary for this game and I kind of got sucked into pointing out things that I liked, things that were encouraging me because the first thing I did notice about this game after that really bad opening 15 minutes was, hey, the midfield's getting on the ball. The midfielders are progressing the ball. The midfielders are exchanging passes with each other. If you look at our previous two league games, who were our top passers? Ganduzi, Socrates, Louise, Chambers. Okay? Who were our top passers in this game? Mesut Ozil, Ganduzi, Ceballos, Chambers. So... The midfielders were doing it. The base of midfield was giving it to the shuttlers, giving it to the 10, getting it into the attacking third, exchanging passes with each other. But this is where his conservatism hurt him because he had to have the extra solidity of another midfielder instead of putting Pepe on. And when we got into the final third, there were only two forwards. You only had Lacazette and Aubameyang, and we needed that third that third person to hurt us. So, I mean, the first 15 minutes aside, did you enjoy some of the exchanges of passes and distances and possession that we had with midfield at all. Um, what did you what did you feel about that aspect of the game and the way we were able to at least keep the ball a little bit and, and improve in that area from what we've done previously? Yeah, no, I feel you, bro. I, I kind of had to take a step back at one stage and say, uh, Thanks, hang dog. on, this, <laughs> yeah, uh, th- this doesn't match up because um, we weren't... Late on in the game, you had to look at it and you said, I said to myself, well, where are the shots coming from? I mean, they, they just weren't happening. Happening, And I think, especially as we chased the game later on, their organization really came into it. And uh, for all our possession and for all our graft, we were getting nothing out of it. And, uh, you know, we can't forget the Wolves are a really good side and they're good at this. Um, and they... I think they need a lot of credit or they get a lot of credit for how the game end, ended up and especially the last 15 minutes. Um, I, I I definitely felt what you felt, which was there were this, this was an improvement in terms of football terms after that 15 or 20 minutes initially was gone. I was starting to enjoy it. I was starting to feel optimistic about it. I, I didn't think we'd quite earned the goal that Aubameyang got, but as the half went on, I thought it was well-earned. Um, Ozil was was pulling the strings. I mean, it's phenomenal for Ozil to be getting 90-plus passes in a game. Um, you know, back in the day when things were 
were taken along, he'd still be only a 50 or 60 pass guy. So he obviously came out with a mission to prove something in this. And very early on when we were struggling to get going with against Wolves, uh, you saw him dropping really deep. To help Ganduzi, like, who, who started the game really poorly, and then I think grew into it. Yeah. You're absolutely right, and that was that was actually sort of leadership, I thought, on his part. Yeah, I mean, he really he really showed up, and it's like it's the age old question of what is the question with Macedozo? It's not do you want to play him or don't don't you want to play him? It's the, there's a third piece, which is which Macedozo is it? And I mean, he does have. I understand many of its frustrations along the way, but if this was uh, and the other thing about Mesodozo's body language, you know, you can't read too much into it or you shouldn't. Or Yes, you bloody can. Hmm. You can see from the look of Mesodozo's uh, body language and how he carries himself, whether he's up for it, whether he's into it. I mean, he was chasing shit down. He was there was he was running, you know, running guys off to the touchline Um he was pissed and he was there to prove a point. He was going to show he was right and the manager was wrong. And we were massive beneficiaries of it. Hang on. Did I say fisheries? Well, there's a whole zone off the, the, uh, the in the English channel, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we were the be- <laughs> we were the be- Okay. Derailed a bit I will there. never admit I mispronounced something. We were the beneficiaries of it in this. Um, and, you know. There's so many themes you can spread off into this, but yeah, there was some good football in this, and, and I kind of scratch. I don't like the four diamond two at home. I fully agree it was to keep things narrow and compact, uh, to surrender the wings to some st- some extent so that we could be solid against uh, the counterattack from Wolves. It kind of worked, and later on, uh, later on when they hit us, it kind of didn't. Um, but I really feel that that the way the reason we're not taking a formation like we should be able to play that formation at home, although it's not ideal and still hurt the opposition more than we did here. And the problem with changing formation, every game, uh, personnel, etc. this this lack of uncertainty is the automatisms aren't there going forward or going back. But it was good for about 20 minutes there in the first half. Yeah. And and I mean, look, (laughs) We're really grading on a curve at this point, I acknowledge, right? But we're looking yeah. for anything we can enjoy. And as I was watching, you know, the, the one thing I enjoyed was a little bit more midfield possession, a little bit more sustained possession in their half. Having said that, it didn't come to enough. And then you have to say, well, why is it we still create so few shots and we still uh, have so few opportunities to, to score? And... Look, Mesut Ozil had 95 passes. The number one pass combination Mesut Ozil had was to Callum Chambers. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to pick on the guy, but he never went past his man. He never tried to get to the end line, or very rarely did. And and I think that had that been Bellerin, and I'm not saying Bellerin was fit to play, maybe even if it had been Maitland-Niles, with Ozil being on the ball as much as he was, an athlete who could go past his man, who could keep his man pinned back, who could open up those spaces might have meant something. But another thing that it could have been is Pepe. And, and Tim, this is, you know, look, everybody has their fantasy lineup they want to pick. Unai Emery does not have to pick the lineup I would use in FIFA, okay? I, I fully acknowledge that. That's not what this is about. But this is where a big club manager, I feel like a guy who, who is right for a club our size gets it right, and Emery doesn't. He's got Torreira and Ceballos and Ganduzi all out there. 
And you don't need all three of them. You just need two of them. Because when Ozil is getting the ball 90 times, you know, in between the lines, he needs that extra attacker to give the ball to in the channel, to give the ball to in the half space. And he didn't have it. And it showed. And instead, it was Callum Chambers getting on the ball. And a lot of the moves ended there. So for you, is that decision, that that unwillingness to pick Pepe and the, the need to have the three controlling midfielders really Emery's shortcoming at Arsenal in a nutshell? Yeah, I think so. It's the one thing he can't give up, isn't it? <laughs> and, you you know, you come into this game and you think, oh, it sounds like he's going to start Ozil and he's probably going to start Lacazette and Aubameyang because he pretty much always does that. And you think, oh, we, we're going to get that front four together. And, and you know, it's like I think our expectations have dropped so much that I think we all know that maybe that's not completely 100% tactically ideal. Um, to have a team that open and actually we spent quite a few years complaining about Wenger doing that that sort of thing too often but you know seeing how this is going we're just going oh could, can we please just like get all of our toys out of the toy chest and play with them just this one afternoon and you think yes Ozil starting yes Aubameyang starting yes Lacazette starting Pepe's on the bench it's like mm. <laughs> it's like the Grinch he has to take something away from you <laughs> And uh, no, I mean, that. obviously I'm like hyperbolizing there because you're right, because he cannot quit that flat midfield three. Having at least three central midfielders at all times is just like the one thing he cannot do without. And, it, you know, in this game, it made us super narrow. Um, you know, I was watching particularly in the first half because like uh, Ceballos was on. Well, I say on my side in the first half. I mean, he really wasn't. He was he was tucking in so much. Um, it wasn't really a diamond at all. It 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 was it was a bit of a mess to be quite honest. Mm. Um, seeing who was going out wide, like I I think Özil got it. I think Özil got when to drift it. But I think that's what Özil does anyway, regardless of whether you play in a diamond. He gets when to drift out wide and when to come inside. And I I'm not sure Sabios does so much. Certainly not off the ball. I think he likes. I think what he likes is to receive the ball there and come inside and 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 I think Genduzi likes to do that as well but he's not he's not quite as addicted to it he can do it from the center um but yeah yeah it's just that that's the one consistency right in an Emery starting lineup you're going to get at least three central midfielders um and yeah and it just felt like it's interesting actually that you know, he seemed to have a reluctance perhaps to have Ozil and Pepe on the pitch at the same time. It made me think about Clive's comment a couple of weeks ago about Pepe ostensibly being an Ozil replacement, you know, mm, that different yeah. type of creator. And that he was, you know, he was, look, he was worried about Wolves on the counter-attack, which which in isolation is is pretty justified, really, to be honest. Like if I wasn't, if this season hadn't been going quite badly and I wasn't really down on Unai Emery, I might even say that's a smart thing to do against a team like Wolves who play with wing backs who bomb up and down um, and just eat teams alive on the counter. I might say, well, yeah, actually, I can see why you didn't want Pepe and Ozil in there um, and, you know, why you might want to block up the middle a little bit. But again, it's just... I, and I get it's difficult to balance this team in particular between defence and attack, but he always, always just goes that other way. And it pretty much always, always doesn't work, but he keeps doing it. 
and uh, and he said you know he could, and and this is why like the decision to make is there right now because he's unrepentant about it he said you know that this game went tactically as he wanted it to go so what's that telling you it, like we we've said he's not a clear communicator maybe we just haven't been listening because we haven't liked what he's been saying and we've been grasping for something else but he is explicitly saying that this will continue this is his idea and he will keep doing it so mm. um yeah ex- expect it in maybe not against vittoria um because it'll be a different but team but Lester, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah and do you know what maybe maybe i was talking about this um earlier maybe this kind of slightly crappy underdog football where we only think about the other team maybe that's appropriate against leicester because they're a better team than us yeah maybe i mean i I don't think they're a better team than us. I think they're playing better than we are. I think we are a better team than they are. And I, I, I think, think they're, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. They're a better team than us. We have better players. Right. Overall. Yeah. This debate, this debate broke out. It, maybe not. This debate broke out in the discord. And I, I don't want to bring it onto the pod right now. I think it's maybe one for down the line, which is how much does a coach matter? Is a coach mm-hmm. making you 90% less than what you could be? Does a coach make you 90% more than what you could be? I think there's a real question about that, um, and I don't I don't know that I want to answer it on this podcast, uh, but I think it's something that we we should talk about. I mean, is Brendan Rodgers making Lester better than the sum of their parts? Is Brendan Rodgers getting them to perform at roughly their talent level? Is Klopp making Liverpool better than the sum of their parts? I think you'd have to say yes. You know, is yeah. is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer making United worse than the sum of their parts? I honestly couldn't tell you. I think they're a pretty shit team, to be fair. So, like, it is an interesting question of how much a coach does make a difference. And and I think in the case of Emery, he's definitely getting us to underperform our talent. How much? Well, we may get to find that out very soon. But Clive, um, you know, with respect to the way this whole system works, I still think that there is a really interesting point to be made about Lucas Torreira because he just seems, if we're going to play a diamond, he seems like the guy. And Matteo Ganduzzi struggled early in this game. And I actually think that the reason a lot of people think he had a shocker is because he had two really bad giveaways early that stick in the memory. And he was bad early. And I don't think he's a base of a diamond kind of guy because he wants to get the ball and carry it forward. And I think if you're at the base of the diamond, you kind of have to stay. You have to give it and stay a little bit. You can't start running forward. And he wants to get it and go and, and go right into danger and leave nothing behind him. So I feel Torreira makes sense at the base. Ganduzi makes sense as one of the shuttlers. Now, I don't like the diamond to begin with, but I feel you can play a double pivot with Torreira and Ganduzi. But if at a minimum you have to play a diamond, I got to believe that it's Torreira that has to be at the base. So is there an argument to be made that Pepe aside, Nozo aside, and all that, one of the big misses for Emery that just could seems like such an obvious fix for him would just be to start using Torreira the right way? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's part of it. I think, um, again... What I don't like about this selection was he didn't quite commit to it. So if you commit to a diamond, get the guys in the right place. So look at the personalities of the player. Torreira can be mobile and get into dangerous positions. But you know what? Gwendozi is slightly better at that. He's got a better character to get on the ball slightly higher up. Um, the default personality of Torreira is to cover. He doesn't mind being a water carrier. He doesn't mind. He can be both parts. But I just think... Gwendouzi's personality slightly higher up is the, the one, maybe off the right-hand side slightly. And a player that I think is perfect for a diamond, that I just totally ignored, that should have played in this system, maybe a hindsight pick, but I think Joe Willock would have been perfect on the left-hand side of the diamond. 
I think Wolves had a lot of pace on the right-hand side. He could have discouraged some of that with his speed and recovery going both ways. And what you, I always keep saying that you want your best runners on the outside tips of the diamond because they need to shuffle across. They need to get out and block off fullback runs. Mm. So he didn't quite commit to it. So what does he do? He has Sabias out there. And Sabias is not a great runner. He's not great at shuffling across. We've seen it before. And he doesn't do well at it. He, once he goes past him, he looks shocking recovery speed and they just ran past him pop pop straight past him now what he does when he comes he's a sort of player that when you have a diamond you do be massively disciplined in your shape and just come in out laterally you just can't be everywhere and what he does is he runs the ball to you and he lends you the ball he always passes it slightly behind you so you've got to give it back to him that's classic spanish play it's all about him getting maximum touches on the ball. While we're doing that, we're just getting covered up top. We're not really connected. We're not penetrating. So you're not giving us anything. You're not giving us anything on the recovery, and you're not penetrating the opposition. I've been massively disappointed in him. And Torreira now is just a – he is a victim of the system. You know, sometimes I hear people say that. I go, ooh. But then I am you know, have a different view, and I think, okay, you're doing fine, but you could do better. And then we could get more from other players in your position – who have got the personality <laughs> to play that position. Mm-hmm. And so you are a victim of the system. And I think, you know, I didn't agree with your substitution. I think we just should have moved it around slightly and got the right... You know, I think we weakened our team by taking off certain players, particularly Lacazette and Torreira. We ended up with a with a weaker side at the end of the game than the, than the side we actually started with. So it's, not, it's just committing to the, the system. You commit to it, you have the right athletes on the outside tip, you have the right personality at the base. We obviously had the right player at the top end of the of the team because he had you know a decent game, and we got two fours that know each other quite well. So if you're not going to play Pepe, make sure you fully commit to the system, fully commit to what you're doing. Make sure you have the right transition speed in your team both ways. But he didn't. He just thought, you know what, I'll stick Sabias in there because I'm reacting to the negativity. Everyone says I'm negative. No, I'd much rather you die by what you're trying to do and have the right players there and don't care what anyone else is thinking. But we now know for certain he cares a lot about what people are saying, what the information leaking out of the club and what other teams are doing. And I think he's lost a lot of his strength to stick to what he wants to do. And I don't think he is any longer. I think he's far more reactive than he used to be. Yeah, uh, that's well said. I I think the thing that disappoints me, guys, too, I don't know if this will be clear in the memory to everybody because, you know, these games just get so muddled. But early on, and certainly during that period where we had them under the cosh, their defenders just looked sloppy and scared and uncertain. There was the, you remember the Torreira chance that then popped back out to Aubameyang and he, he curled it over, you know, about a yard over? Um, those sort of two two chances in quick succession. Uh, Torreira's yeah. shot got blocked and Aubameyang shot... That all started because of a really poor cross from us that like basically went off two Wolves defenders, was bouncing around the box. They just didn't clear it comfortably. And like, this is the thing that bothers me. And I've been saying this for so long. You know why only having 10 shots matters? Put XG to one side. Sometimes defenders kick it off their own ass into their own goal. Sometimes Mustafi kicks it into his own goal. Sometimes a clearance gets, you know, shanked and it falls right to the foot of a player to, to tap it in. When you take a lot of shots, when you put the ball in the opposition penalty area a lot, sometimes they accidentally stick their foot out when they shouldn't and they take you down and you get a penalty. So, like, we just don't create enough decisive moments in a match 
because we're not in the box enough and we're not shooting enough. And, and we just don't put teams under a lot of pressure. And you know what really scares me? They had 25 shots in this game. Most of them were really low XG chances and stuff like that. Here's the problem. We're going to have one of these games soon where the opposition has 25 shots and the finishing gods are going to be on their side and someone's going to put six past us because that's how this works. You can't keep giving up 25, 30 shots a game and not have one day go against you where the finishing gods are on their side. We're going to lose a game 6-1, 6-2, one of these days if we keep doing this like this. Paul, I think, you know, again, we, we, t- we talk about Torreira not being used properly, but we did get the lead. We then get pegged back, and then it's time to try to rescue it. And this is where I think Emery has been really poor this season, in addition to everything else, is his in-game management. His subs have been questionable, and most of our games end so muddled. I thought the the last 30 or 35 minutes of this game were just an absolute mess. Both sides, really. I don't, I don't know that Wolves were great. We were terrible. I thought he got the subs wrong, just flat wrong. I'm curious to get your take on his decision not to bring on Pepe, the subs he made, and the influence they had. Yeah, I think he was rattled. Um, and I think he's been rattled for a while. I, I do think he's unfortunately starting to listen to other voices, other thoughts. And um, can, can I ask you? A, I know I'm cutting across you, but I'm just going to yeah. ask you a quick question, and then you can go right back to your thought. Do you think that the reason Ozil stayed on the whole game is because Emery felt literally, scared is a tough word, but scared to take him off in front of the Emirates? Faithful with all the circumstances surrounding it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, it's not that a good was sign. My imme- yeah. No, it's not. Um, I mean, Sorry. if it were just the one thing he did, um, that that's of that ilk, you'd say, well, okay, we'll allow him. A, it was a pragmatic choice. Why create an issue he doesn't need? But there's so many of these things going on in terms of his selections and uh, his approach and it, it just now it just feels like a guy who's kind of rattled he's he's not confident in his own approach uh it's it's one thing to listen to outside voices when you're confident um or when you've maintained a vision but the problem with his vision is he, his vision was always adapt to the circumstances so he's just now he's like a, a curve that's oscillating wildly um i thought the the substitutions, the major impression I got from the substitutions was just throw shit at the wall. It was uh, it was pretty attacking stuff. Okay, it was Kolasinac towards the end because Tierney must have been running out of legs. But it was all the attackers. And like you say, he would normally have yanked Ozil at some stage here, um, which I guess in many ways doesn't make sense when you're attacking a game, but he normally would have which makes me think he, you know, uh, I didn't really buy into this. Oh, uh, Emery is going to be outlasted by Ozil, or Ozil thinks he's going to be here longer than Emery. But um, it's it's hard not to think that's the way it's going to go at this stage, and that uh, and that the power balance has, has switched. It's amazing how results change everything. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think he thought he could take him off here. Um, it was a mess at, uh, once he started putting on all the attackers when he took Torreira off. Um, you know, the, just the structure was all gone. Um, so you kind of think, well, we're going for it. But, I mean, we with all of the attackers on, we had basically no shots from that point onwards. We yeah. had lots of the ball. We were moving it around. But there was no structure. We didn't – there was no real plan to get it going. So all the attackers plus Ozil, 
no shots. It was kind of bizarre. And we spent, I mean, if you look at the number of block shots, we, uh, the number of blocks we put in uh, across the game, we were rattled. I mean, we were, we were on the back foot the whole of that last 15 or so minutes after there. That's where all, that's where we're blocking shots and in, trying to but cut out feels, the play. And Paul, yeah. you know, that feels like how a lot of our games end with us thinking we need to attack to get a winner, not knowing how to do it and not being able to balance that with any semblance of sort of possession or coherent defending. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I, I mean, the other worrying part about uh, Emery is f- for your for all your talk about how, you know, he's not setting us up to get a lot of shots. Uh, I agree with Tim. I actually think there's, especially these days now that he's under pressure, he is explaining himself in his press conferences and it's quite clear he was going for the second goal before they scored their goal which is kind of troubling because we weren't even close to getting it in the second half so you know he was going he he wasn't looking to ride out a 1-0 and that might be how our games end up where there's one goal in it either way or it's a draw or we never looked like we're going to score more than one one goal um, or we don't have the XG or the shots to justify it. But he was genuinely trying to go for a second goal at the start of that second half. And I do think, again, back to kind of my the point I made the, the last time, that the four diamond two wouldn't be my favorite approach in this. But we should be good enough. We should have the players to create the o- offense here. Uh, Lacazette was really good, I thought, on the pitch. You got Aubameyang wearing the armband, and I suspect that's very much. I think he won that talk. chance back that he sort of tamely hit at the keeper. I thought I thought that was a better yeah. chance than he took it. Yeah. It was, um, it, on a slight diversion. I'm convinced uh, Aubameyang is who Emery tried to push as the captain before, during, and after the Chaka affair. But anyway, there he was out there. So the front two looked good. They'd Ozil behind them. Um, we had Tierney over in the wing, but we never really leveraged him. And we were restrained with Chambers. And I do wonder if, I know we've given up on the idea that the, the two fullbacks will change everything, but they would have made a big difference in this game. Um, and if he'd only stick to a system, we might actually get good at it. Because there was a period where we were actually pretty good in this. Uh, we just, A, he, he only seems to play one half. And in this it it took him a good 20 minutes for it to get going. Um, you know, maybe we can be significantly better than we played in this game. Because mm. um, individual performances, I thought Ceballos, like I, well, I thought he was okay on the ball, but he's kind of a mess of a player in this system. Um, and he's got the athleticism of a, a, a duckbill platypus when, when we don't have the ball. Um but we've got enough good players for yeah. that kind of a system or any kind of system to work. And I thought individually a lot of players did okay in this game. Um, it, uh, I continue to have concerns with Ganduzi that he just tries to do too much. And I agree with Clive uh, and I think yourself that playing him from so deep just lures him into trying to be the all-action, all-everything midfielder. And he's Terreira's got two problems it's not just Chaka it's Ganduzi and Emery keeps picking them where 
Torreira would give us some kind of an, an anchor in the frame. I don't think you could play a box-to-box midfielder at the base of a diamond because you don't want your base of your diamond going box-to-box. You know? yeah. um, look, to be fair, if you wanted to take the sunniest view of this, you could say if those 52 passes that were completed by Callum Chambers were being played by uh, Hector Bellerin, those might yeah. have been more dangerous moments. And that's a lot of involvement for a player who is really limited in that position. So, you know, that is that is something we can look at. I, I do want to sort of move on as we, we start to wind down towards some of the meta issues and the, and the bigger issues that, that come out of this game. I, I think, you know, certainly, Tim, the, uh, you know, the result is disappointing. But I think part of the problem is we've been looking at results too much. The performances have been telling us that this is the football we play for basically the whole time he's here right now. Um, you know, we, we play a lot of close games. We don't really get destroyed in games. I mean, you could say we did get destroyed 25-10. to 10. We're outshot here, the 31 shots we gave up to Watford. But we battle. But we never seem to impose our superior talent on smaller teams. For me, that is that is the death knell for a big club because you have enough hard games at the top tier of, of English football, you have to win your home games against smaller sides. And with, with all due respect to Wolves, who are very good, very good team, they come to the Emirates, they have to get beat, and they have to get handled. You know, we, we have to have a dominant performance, and we didn't do that. So I guess the next question now is, what's the upside to waiting? Why are they waiting? Why are they not doing the... I mean, what... You know, if you if you look at this and you say... The season is about getting top four, and it's crucial that we do. If you are talking to Edu and Vinay and Raul right now, what could they possibly be saying would be the upside to, to not making a change? So I think, and this this could be wish casting on my part, but I think they've probably been caught a little bit on the hop because the whole thing was let's give him the whole season. They didn't envisage it going quite this badly. Can, can I stop and, you then and ask a follow-up yeah, to sure. that statement, which is just that, in the context of how disastrously poorly the last season ended, is it fair to criticize them for not having it in their mind that 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 could have been a reflection of who he really is and that they needed to be ready for this? Yes, yeah, 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 I think so. I, I certainly would have been um, thinking in, in those terms. Um, I, I guess they thought, let's... You know, let's take care of the transfer market and give him some better players and some players in some positions where he needs them and see where we go from there. But my my best guess is that effectively they just don't have anyone lined up and they don't even have like um, a proper like interim solution. So, you know, it, it's all very well us saying, oh, give it to Freddie Lundberg. But um, I mean, we, we really don't know if he's ready for that at all and uh, I, I kind of doubt this but this could be a reason that you know they could be kind of grooming freddie and they might be thinking this is too early and if we throw him in now we're probably going to lose him forever like we're thinking two years down the line um maybe so and and i think once you start to get into the the then what of sacking Emery, um, you realize, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this is not a reason to do it, but this might be a reason why they're waiting and why there's maybe activity happening in the back channels mm. because you start drawing up a list of people even that you think you might be able to get. And again, as fans, we do this thing, don't we, we where we go, I'll just get him, um, you know, like just get Rogers. And it's like, well, there's no guarantee we can or even if you say something like um let's get an interim like benitez benitez has got a job in china and i'm sure it pays 
pretty bloody well yeah so that there's so there's no guarantees and also once you start to get into this situation basically you realize that every um every appointment we can make is fraught with risk because there's essentially two ways we could go we could hit the gamble button and go for someone like freddie as a bit of an interim see how he goes don't have to give it to him but the problem is unless he's shit hot straight away you probably lose him at some point because either he's not good enough or he is good enough and then you have to appoint him and you know you potentially get into the Solskjaer situation um so I think they probably want to avoid that or you hit the gamble button on someone like, you know, if you go back for Arteta, don't know if that's if that's on, if that's available, whether he'd want that, whatever, whatever. Um, but th- that would, you know, that would still be a risky appointment for all the reasons it would have been a risky appointment 18 months ago. Um, and, and maybe it's even, you know, maybe it's even hotter now because we envisaged um, Emery being what they call in Italy, you know, the ferryman. Um, the guy who just like is there for a couple of years and then passes the baton. But that's kind of not happening here. This is Emery's been bad. So we've got to sack him. So we've got to get this one right. And then, and then so you can either do that, like take the risk on the young manager, because basically the ideal manager is not available to us at the moment. I think it's as simple as that. We're not getting someone like Nagelsmann in November, not happening. You're not, pulling Ancelotti away from Napoli in November, not happening. You're not getting Den Haag away from Ajax in November, not happening. There's just some things that you could potentially do in the summer that you just can't do in the middle of the season. So then you get into the sticky kind of, well, do we bring in an interim manager, you know, maybe like a Rafa or someone like that and say, right, let's just get someone in for six months who will steady the ship. It won't be, it won't be great, but we'll get the results, we'll get in the top four, and then we'll think about it after that. And 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 I think basically what I think and hope they're probably doing is they're having those discussions now. Um, and they're maybe doing some back channel stuff about who they can get. So you draw up your wish list and then not everyone on your wish list is just going to go, yeah, just give me a call when you're ready. Um, so I, I think there's probably quite a bit of preparatory work that needs to be done and none of it's easy. And they, and they probably do have to think quite carefully about what they do next. And to be honest, um, I do have some sympathy there. I don't have any sympathy if they're not doing any of that work at the moment. And I'd like to think that actually maybe it's been going on for a few weeks. If not, then I have huge doubts about about some of those guys. Yeah, I see I I mean this this was part of the debate I was having in Discord, which is like how bad are things? And I think, you know, Arsene Wenger probably stayed longer than he should have, but that's a very different situation. I mean, in a way he ran the club. There was no one above him to really lay down the law. That is not the case here. Raul has proven that he's willing to make some strong moves. I think Edu, you know, came in, in the summer, so we don't really know what he's about yet, but you know, I think some of the transfer business has looked good. Some of the reshuffling behind the scenes has looked good. Uh, you know, we can see that we've done some savvy things. The Saliba move, being able to get Pepe when I think nobody thought we could get him. Whatever you think of how he's played so far, clearly getting him was a coup compared to some of the other clubs that might have been in for him. So I think that there's capability there. And I think they will probably make the move pretty quickly. But I, I guess, Tim, what it boils down to, you're focusing on who the next guy is. The question becomes, if the guy is just not Emery, do we get a lot better quickly? 
And Clive, that I think is the question that Adu and, and Rao have to solve, which is, let's say the, the guy they want is out there, but he's not out there right now. And so the choice is pay off Emery and get rid of him right now and go for that guy in the summer. Or keep Emery till the end of the season because you know who's coming in in the summer, but he's not there yet. For you is not Emery, right? So just whoever that is, Rafa for half season, Freddie for half season, caretaker, Obama Yang player coach, is not Emery an upgrade on Emery based on how things are going right now? I think uh, individual quality is neither. It may not be as big as what we, you know, big an issue what we think. I think Emery's he's fine. He's just lost a bit of confidence, lost a bit of direction. He's given it's too transparent. Some of his issues are just there for everyone to see. And now he's being questioned by the press, by the fans, by everybody, by the players. And so, you know what? What what are we trying to solve? So when you're selecting a manager, what are you trying to fix? Now, for some people, it's like, I just want to win. I just want to get, I want to get top four. For other people, they might think, you know what? The club is fractured at the moment. You know, the, the gap between the fans and the club and the players is just too broad. We need someone that everyone loves. So do we go for a Freddie or an Arteta? Or do we go hipster? I said Euro hipster. Do we go Euro hipster? Do we get somebody, you know, there's people out there like Ten Hag, etc., Nagelsmann, those names that we that get thrown around on, on different various data sites, etc. There do we go for one of those? There's there's no guarantees on, on any of them. And so hence why I don't criticize the fact that we haven't done anything straight away. But the direction is we are going to do something. And the international break for me is that period. The reason why I'm pretty I'm pretty convinced my own little mind is that we've got some different people in the club and and I'm not seeing no direct vociferous support. You're hearing comments and leaks about what the club might be thinking, what they're doing, but I'm not seeing massive support from anybody. And that tells me no one wants to align themselves massively to this guy. And that tells me he's in departure now. It's big time. And so... Where, where, which direction? So I'm, I'm not convinced. So how can anybody be convinced? You know, I'm not convinced that Arteta's the one. I'm not convinced that Freddie's the one. I am convinced that everyone will love Freddie and will sing his song for a little while. But if the results don't go well, what do we do then? Now, what do we do? You know, you keep saying earlier that I'm a bit concerned about we're not creating chances. Have you, have you ever thought for a moment that we don't retain the ball well enough in the top third. We haven't got the strength to separate and speed to separate away from our men. We're not playing with a level of dynamism and technical security. Maybe some of our players are not quite as good as what we think they oh, are. Oh, I think there's absolutely truth to that. Of course there's yeah. truth to that. But I, I would also suggest, I mean, you know, and and it's not fair to Emery because the Chambers-Bellerin dichotomy is, is not something he's had at his disposal. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, Chambers and, and Bellerin, and maybe it's Pepe instead of one of Ceballos or oh, Ganduzi at the weekend, no, and I'm suddenly you add that, yeah. you know? Absolutely. I, um, we were so close to seeing that dream team that we all got in our mind, and this was the I thought this was the moment to see it. And I thought, you know, I thought Pepe would play and Ceballos wouldn't, and that would be the team in a 4-2-3-1. And I did think Chambers would stay in because Bellerin's not quite ready. But, you know, with Pepe in front of him, Chambers would not have been so influential and we'd have had Pepe getting that ball in that area and we hopefully would have got a lot more from it. And so I do think I'm I'm not convinced of the direction yet. I'm really not sure. And when we saw the Mourinho stuff at the weekend, I thought to myself, wow, would they do something like that? You know, um, I think the, the fan reaction, <laughs> maybe I shut that one down. But it's all on the table, isn't it? 
it really is on the table and it depends what direction this club is going to go in what are we trying to fix is it um is it a short-term thing is it a medium to longer term thing to re-establish our name globally our size globally and and, and this club is a new club to all of us now let's be honest it's, it's changing there are a number of changes today even in, in the backroom staff this club is not a club that we can no longer really recognize and it'd be interesting to see what direction we're going to next because I think that's going to tell us a lot about what this also actually stands for. Yeah, I mean, the thing, look, the one thing we're all going to have to adjust to, and I think Andrew and, and James made a good point of this on the on the Arscast, if you've ever heard of it, um, is just that we had a manager for 22 years. That's not the norm. The norm is three to five. That's what we're going to settle into. So it doesn't mean you're a dysfunctional club if every two or three seasons you have a new manager. What it means is you're going through the normal progression that clubs go through now. And then maybe you land on one that's your next Klopp or your Pep. And there's a five-year cycle of winning and succeeding and winning trophies and challenging for titles and challenging for Champions Leagues. And then that window closes like it like it spurs. Pochettino comes in, he makes you better, you win absolutely fuck all, and then you leave, right? That's... That's a normal cycle. I think, I think, ahead, I think it could be a two-year cycle. It, it could I be. Really I mean, but, I think but it's if it's a two, successful right? guy, then it's three to five, right? If it's a potch, I mean, a, a potch, a clop, a, a pep. I'll tell, tell you why I, I fear that management is changing massively is that we fans have changed. We This podcast is, is an example of that. We analyze absolutely everything. You know, we're not alone. The fans have changed. Our expectations have changed. And I don't think it's a. I don't think the Arsenal job is a picnic by any means. I think it's one of the toughest jobs out there because everything around the club has got different expectations. We are not aligned. So I do think if you were to ask me, I think we need a massively strong personality to manage the club, to manage everything around it, and it's got to be someone that we can mm. listen to and be communicated to, and we believe and stand by. And I think that's the way forward. And so I'm not sure if it's a younger manager's role at this moment in time. Maybe not. Uh, uh, without the support of the club behind him. I will say this. I think if Unai Emery had a few five nils and six nils and seven ones to his resume, he'd find it a lot easier to hold on to the job. I think we're maybe being a bit harsh on the Arsenal supporters, only in the sense that I believe the results didn't have to be there. But I think the fact that this is a manager who doesn't have a clear philosophy, who hasn't been working towards any specific, dynamic, attractive way of playing football. Forget attractive. He hasn't been working towards anything clearly enough that's been exciting enough for us that we could hold on to. And then you couple that with poor results, and I think it's it's a, a snowball going downhill, and, and the, the, the antipathy towards him just started to grow. Let's wrap it up with two quick questions for Paul and Tim. Paul, you know, I mean, I look at Chelsea finishing 12th. I think it was 12th, right, in Jose's last season there. And you see what can happen when a team abandons its manager, when the players aren't listening to the message anymore. Look at Spurs, my God. I mean, they're a mess under a manager who clearly could manage. Same with Jose when he finished 12th with uh, with Chelsea. And, and so my question to you is, it's sort of the same one I asked of Clive, how much do you believe that just removing a manager can liberate the talent and the ambition and the ability of this team such that it doesn't really matter who the guy is. The removal is addition by subtraction. Well, there's certainly a part of that. Uh, we saw with, with, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that, uh, you know, he's not a great, it turns out he's not a great manager, but they got a really good run of games. So you get that, 
you get you can get a positive bump just by the change. Um, uh, I agree with you know Tim's analysis. I think it's going to be very hard. Their main problem is finding out who to pull in after that, and the free hit really is Freddie because he's probably a pretty smart coach with no experience, but he'll have all the support and enthusiasm. It's kind of set up for him in a way because he's not going to get any shit all season from the supporters, regardless of what happens, win, lose, or draw, because they're going to say, well, it was better than Emery, and we're hanging on till the summer. But it is creating a bit, making him the sacrificial lamb. But I don't think any other option works so well because anybody else, you go for a Rafa, he's going to want some mega deal. Uh, Any manager who comes in who has some status knows he has Arsenal by the balls if they pull him in November or December. It'll be a 17-year deal for 18 million. And the other factor for uh, Vinay, Raul, etc., and Edu is... You need a manager who's copacetic with the approach and the players. And that's where Freddie is just a massive benefit because, of course, he believes in uh, certainly all the young players and in general, probably uh, the core team here. Whereas you bring in some uh, high profile manager, he just may not buy off that Ganduzi is what he needs or that Saka and Nelson and etc 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 Willock are going to be the future so there's a lot of moving parts here I think it, it, it's a big risk uh, I heard I hear Tim that they may be grooming Fr- Freddie but if I'm being selfish Arsenal I'm like hey there are other managers out there we'll have time to sort that out I'm actually I'll, I'll actually take the risk and and look at Freddie here and yeah it may not work out for him but we will actually have time to replace Freddie. What we don't have time to do is replace Emery. Mm. So I think there's a big, there's a, a reasonable bump to be got here. And I think Freddie can kind of hit the ground running from a fitting into the club perspective in a way that it is going to be really hard for him to pull somebody from the outside. Yeah, I mean, I look at it this way. Once you decide that it's going down in a heap of flames, you know, a burning mess crashing into the into the ground under Emery, I don't think it matters who you put in once you remove him because you say, look, in a worst-case scenario, it gets no better, which is still yeah. fine. We make a change in the summer. And in a best-case scenario, taking him out of the equation improves things enough that we're, we have a shot at top four based on talent alone. Tim, I think... Yeah. And can I just quickly say, I mean, Lampard isn't doing anything miraculous in terms of formation. There's no kind, there's no pep kind of formula in there that Freddie in his own way can't do some version of, um, you know, four, two, three, one. With they some press kind of early, they commit resources yeah. to the attack. They play a fairly high line and push up. I mean, it, it's not rocket science. And we science. don't live with it. Yeah. We live with it. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I totally agree with you. You know, when you make a point about, you know, the next guy might not think Saka's the way forward, might not think Willick is the way forward, I think we're reaching a bit of a tipping point now where the way Emery is using the young players is maybe doing them no yeah. favors. Um, I, I really, really believe that 
Using them in the Europa League, using them in the Carabao Cup makes sense. A spot substitute appearance when you're already winning the game in the Premier League. But this business of trying to get Saka and Martinelli in there against Wolves to rescue the game when Pepe's on the bench, that's too clever by half. And I, I think you run the risk of damaging them more than helping them. I, I think we might be reaching a tipping point where his youth uh, use of the youth players is hurting more than it's helping. Tim, we'll finish with this. First of all, just real quick, you want to have a, a visceral reaction to the idea of Jose Mourinho managing Arsenal? Yeah, never in a million years. Um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, I don't think he's a very good manager anymore. That's and, a key you know, point, by the way. A very, yeah, very yeah. important point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got no money and loads of kids. Like, Jose Mourinho is the last manager I'd think of. But, I mean, the the biggest point is just that he's a massive wanker. And um, I, I don't know. I've had people all weekend, like, so. It's like, what further justification do you need? Like... I hate the guy. Like I don't want him managing my football club. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I don't need to explain any. Nobody needs to explain it any more than that. Like I think, like I genuinely, not just in like a all cartoonish like WWE style football way. Like I genuinely think he's an unpleasant guy. The way he's putting himself out there at the moment because he smells Emery's blood. As much as I'm not massively enamoured by Unai Emery at the moment, I mean that that's wankerish behaviour. It's like oh this you know vulture is like. Like just awful opportunity, opportunism, and it's absolute mm. worse. And uh, yeah, I think he's a genuinely unpleasant guy. I don't want him anywhere near the club. And well, uh, even if I thought he was a good manager, I think that's a good enough reason. Well, here's the thing: I don't uh, get. And I, can uh, I just uh, add quickly? Yeah, if, if Raul's having anything to do with him, and I don't for a moment believe he is, but if he was, I'd completely change my view on Raul in terms of how smart he is. I mean, if he doesn't fucking know from being at Barca where. Uh, Jose was before and then at Real Madrid and with everything he knows in the game, if he's having anything to do uh, 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 consorting, associating with, and he isn't. But if he were, I'd be if we looked like we were shaping up and it didn't even happen at the end of the day, it just, for whatever reasons, uh, that would be all the nails in the coffin yeah. for Raul. He's denied it. He's Look, he said that, that yeah. they haven't talked in years. Not I, I'm not worried about it. My, my issue is a lot of people on social media are approaching it like, oh, what, you're enjoying the Emery thing so much? I'd take Jose over Emery. You don't need to because we don't yeah. need to. You could just sack Emery. Give it to Freddie. <laughs> give give it to me. Give it to Aubameyang player coach. Give it to Gunnar Soros. Like, the idea that the only way we can get rid of Emery is to get Jose makes absolutely no sense. There are better managers we could get, and their names are... A and other, because he's not a very good manager anymore. So there's that. Tim, I'll leave it with this. It's Leicester next weekend with Vittoria on Wednesday. Oh, by the way, everybody picking on Unai Emery. Everybody's been picking on him. But he returned Wednesday European football to Arsenal. Always remember that. <laughs> um, yeah, Wednesday Vittoria game. But but uh, it's Leicester next weekend. Do you believe if we lose that game, top four is gone? I mean, I know that might seem hyperbolic, but it would be nine points potentially behind both Leicester and Chelsea having played Leicester and lost to them. Do you think that could be a top four decider? And and if so, how disastrously catastrophic is it to have your top four campaign over before mid-November? <laughs> so it wouldn't be good. It'd be unlikely, but not gone. Not gone for the reason that, um, I mean, it's only November and, you know, we could still go on a run, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, neither and, you Leicester know, Le- or Chelsea are, are flawless, by the way. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, ultimately Leicester and Chelsea have built up those leads in, what, 10, 11 games? But there's 27 left. So you can claw it back in 10 or 11 games. Um, 
you know, well enough. Um, I mean, if we keep Unai Emery, then that's not going to happen. Um, I, I, so I wouldn't say it's over, but unlikely and not least because this is the gentle run of fixtures that we're in at the moment. Like someone posted the results from the last 18 games um, in the Premier League for Unai Emery and it's really ugly reading. It's really ugly. Um, some of the teams we've lost to and the teams we've beaten have pretty much all been terrible. Um, we, like we haven't had a genuinely impressive result you know in quite a quite a while now um but yeah i mean the, you know the psychological damage obviously of, of losing to leicester and giving them that kind of lead and you know they've got the wind in their sails at the moment um and you know i know it's a different team to the one that won the league a few years ago but you know you can still say that club has has, has shown staying power certainly more recently than arsenal have um in in terms of you know seeing out some kind of challenge during a season um and you know even before that like battling relegation like leicester have form for finishing seasons well when they have to you know um but i I wouldn't say it was completely over but um you know it'd be a long way back put it that way yeah yeah i agree look i i think we can leave it there because we don't need to go on and on about the manager, and I think we covered the game enough, and that seems like a natural stopping point. And we'll have, uh, I think, a live pregame show before the Victoria game, maybe live commentary for that game as well. Uh, I, I kind of want to do it in the spotlight, but there really hasn't been anyone in the spotlight. <laughs> so I don't know how we're going to do that. Maybe we'll come up with a different concept for... Um, for a Patreon pod this week. We're also going to have a guest from The Athletic coming on. We didn't stop for for an ad break today, so hopefully uh, if you would be so kind and are interested in Patreon, you'd sign up there or go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. Sign up using that code. Oh, real quick. We're going to be doing a competition going into the holidays involving The Athletic sign-up that should be fun and result in someone embarrassing themselves. So that should be fun. Look out for that. That'll be coming soon. Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo. Uh, Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Very much. And of course, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five star review right now. Things about Scott, because there's so many things about Scott that, oh my gosh, it's fertile territory. He'll be back on a pod in the near future as well. In any way, uh, in any way, in any event, we love you. We really do. And uh, Wednesday night, European football is back, everybody. Just another reason to be proud of the Arsenal. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Victoria. Enough.